back in the letter of the Revelation. The church of Ephesus was told they had left their first love, which is really, I, I believe, the primary target of Satan in a Christian's faith is to attack his love of God, to attack his worship of God. You see, worship for God's creatures is a duty of God's creatures. It's a privilege as one of God's creatures. And as I believe is evidenced over and over and over again in Holy Scripture, worship is easily corrupted. It's very easy for a person to be waylaid or distracted or deceived and then become a false worshiper. Worship is reverence. We looked at some of the original words in the Hebrew and in the Greek to to give some definition of what worship is. And we learned that it's got a spectrum of meaning between reverence and service and homage and adoration depending on the individual word used and then depending on the context where it is used. Worship might be a noun and it can also be a verb. Worship is both of those things. Being a creature who has come under the preaching of the gospel, that is, each one of you has heard the call to repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus, we have learned has as an objective, as as one of the goals of calling someone out of sin and into rebirth, is he becomes a restored worshiper. A person who was broken and, and corrupted and ruined in Adam that is, the, the, the first sin that came among men resulted in what we read in, in the verses of Romans chapter 1. Men wouldn't glorify him as, as, as God. Men would not glorify God as God. Men would not give thanks to God. And in their corrupt state of being sinners, men literally drift further and further and further into depravity greater and greater measure of and degree of sin. And so when man is restored, this is one of the things that must be and is restored. So man hears the gospel. He hears, I am offensive to God in my natural state. In my unconverted state, my natural being is offensive to God because I'm a sinner. That's what a a man hears when he hears the gospel. He hears that he is a betrayer of God. When he hears the proper preaching of the gospel, you're like, wow, I've just been living my life in independence from the Creator. I do whatever I want. I like whatever I want. I devote my life and my ambition to whatever I want. And a person who hears the gospel realizes that he has been completely independent 
and rebellious in his life. And, and when he comes to faith, when he comes to believe this, he doesn't leave his unbelief and he doesn't leave his sin with resentment and with sadness. He actually leaves that with gratitude and with joy to have found what he was created for. You're created to be God's creature, God's worshiper, God's servant. And so the one who's born again realizes this and understands this when he is converted. God's worshipers have a unique disposition to truth. And we're going to focus on this aspect of the Christian life and Christian thought in this sermon. A unique disposition to truth in your pursuit of your faith. You have a unique relationship to and obligation to truth. If you don't have a handout yet, you need one. I'll, I'll warn you now, there's a lot of cross-references in this sermon. And the handouts are on the table there. If you need one, Terry will hand you one. Thank you, Terry. I want you to do the labor you have to do to follow with me in this message. Because when a person comes to Christ... He is fundamentally changed in his obligation to truth. So let me ask you a question. A Christian does have this vital relationship to truth. Let me ask you a question. How do you take Counsel and teaching and correction. You might even add another word and onto that list if you have a better grasp on the English language. How do you, from your chair, you should be thinking, how do I respond to teaching, to correction, and to counsel? Early this morning, I was early. When I say early this morning, it was sometime between midnight and two. Early this morning, I was thinking about this in my own life, in my own heart. And and I found a place of resistance in my own heart to counsel and, and to correction. And so the Lord warned me and the Lord rebuked me as I find this this hardness in my own heart against correction and against teaching, all it does is show me that men, women, who come from the same clay as Adam, this is in you. I know this is in you. When I, when I find sin in me, I rarely think, oh no, I have this unique sin in the creation. When I find sin in me, I find myself understanding Adam a little better than I understood him before. So I know these things that that I learn about me and that I learn about you. This is a, a problem common to man. 
So I want you to look for yourself. I want to look into your own heart with you. Look at your attitude and look at your manner toward correction, toward counsel, toward teaching. And I, I want to ask you now to, before the Lord, say, Lord, Mike is kind of scaring me a little bit because I don't really want to go that deep into my heart. But I want to, Lord. Because the one who's been born again and called to you is a lover of truth. We love the truth. And so when you hear and receive truth, you grow in Christian maturity. And I want to encourage you to learn from God's Word. I want to encourage you to be submissive to His Word. Please be careful to not come up with a list of one or two people who need to hear this sermon when I'm done preaching. Put your name at the top of the list, please. And if there is someone who needs to hear this, prayerfully think about sharing it with them, maybe. But please consider and pray about being receptive yourself. The reason I wanted you to have your handout is because you'll see these references in the Proverbs. Proverb 9-7 is the first one on your handout. And as we read these three references, I want you to consider being hard and being receptive to truth. Consider hardness and receptivity to truth. I'll explain. Proverb 9-7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Proverbs 9-8. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Proverbs 15:12. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Three references. We could look at many, many more. It's only three here. So here's why they're there. We start here to look at our appetite or close your eyes and ask the question, what is my appetite to truth? What is my appetite to correction? Is your receptiveness to truth and correction and rebukes an indication of your wisdom? Or is it an indication of your being a scoffer or a mocker? Because depending on your hunger and willingness to receive correction. According to these three verses we just read here, you can define yourself. I am a scoffer. What would make you a scoffer? A scoffer does not love one who corrects him. A scoffer will not go to the wise. That's Proverbs 15.12. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. If someone corrects you, do you somehow make that seem a shameful thing for the person who spoke it? Do you harm the person who brings correction with your reply or with your response? Do you harm them? 
The easiest place to see this is potentially between father and child or between child and father, mother and child, child and mother, husband and wife, wife and husband. This is an easy place to see what your appetite is for correction. Have you convinced yourself that you love the truth while insulating yourself from the teaching or the correction of men? Oh, I love the truth as long as nobody tells me when I'm not being true. If a person brings truth to you, do you resent it? The sinful nature doesn't want to be taught by inferiors or by people in general. The sinful nature does not really like someone to point it out to us. Now, don't feel particularly bad if this puts a finger on you here. If this little EKG shows some heart issues here, don't feel particularly bad because you are a relative of Adam. This, this is partially what it means to be a man or a woman, is to, to struggle with this. See, the pious, the pious often wants only to discover God's truth for himself. That's where I'm willing to go to God's word, and when God shows it to me, then, then I'm, I'm willing to receive it. But man, if my wife tells me, I don't really want to hear it. If my friend comes and tells me, I don't really want to hear it. My little brother tells me, I am not going to hear it. You see, the pious, the falsely pious anyways, they would never tell themselves, I dislike the truth. They like the truth. Oh, I love the truth. As long as my little brother doesn't tell it to me. As long as my wife doesn't tell me, right? So what is your appetite to truth? What is your what is your manner toward being taught? Toward being corrected? You want to note the truth here. We've we've read this truth here in these passages in God's word. And I would say you can find yourself in one or those three passages, scoffer, wicked, or wise. You can find yourself. Are you a scoffer? Are you wicked? Or are you wise? Now, God's teachers who might bring this to you could be one of the following. could be the word itself. You, you can be taught. You can be exposed to truth by God's word. So God's word could be how this truth comes to you. Teachers can be the other one. The preacher in your church, your Sunday school teacher. The teacher can be the one who brings us to you. Godly friends, your spouse, or a brother, a sister in Christ. That person, too, can be the one who would bring this to your attention. So, take note of it. Mark it in your notes. Give this some thought. Find out where you stand in your manner toward receiving 
truth. Now I want to talk about loving the truth, fighting deception, and receiving correction. I want to talk to you about loving the truth, fighting deception, and receiving correction. True worshipers worship in truth. We remember that. We've talked about that every week from the conversation between the Lord Jesus and a woman in Samaria. And Christians have a very strong regard for truth. You must have a strong regard for truth if you are a follower of Christ. Because your love and commitment to knowing what is true and your willingness to follow what is true is how you know the true God. It's how you will know Him. If you are not committed to knowing what's true, then then how do you know if you follow the true God? How do you know you're pursuing the true eternal life? See, truth is the one corruptible thing that can poison the gospel in the Christian life. Or in other words, when the truth becomes corrupt, what's it called? A lie. When the truth becomes corrupt, it's called deception. And so if you take the gospel and confuse it with poison, it's not the gospel anymore. You must be a lover of the truth to apprehend the gospel, to know God's offer of eternal life, to know God's threat of damnation. You must be a person who wants to know what's true. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. I believe it's on your handout. I put all these on your handout so we could make it through the sermon in less than an hour. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Paul warning the Christians in Thessalonica, that the the coming end of the age involves this lawless one that comes with the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Look at that. See the relationship between those who are going to perish from this world are are woven into or intermingled with this unrighteous deception. And they will perish. Look at what it says. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see the relationship between a person's commitment to want to know what's true and salvation? It's so crucial for us to have a humble attitude and a desire to know what's true. Those who perish have one kind of regard to truth. Did you see that there? They they, they regard truth in a certain way. They did not receive a love of it. That's, That's their attitude toward it. They don't love the truth that they might be saved. But a Christian... If you hear the gospel with a tender heart toward the Lord Jesus, that's not how you hear the truth. You hear the truth and you want to know what's true. So mark it. Note it. Remind yourself. 
say, self, I want to know what's true. I must conform myself to what's true. Don't become content with deceptions in your life. Love the truth. Remember that you love the truth. Even if your wife tells you that you're not walking in the truth. Even if your little brother tells you that you're not walking in the truth. Even when your big brother tells you you're not walking in the truth. You see, what I've found is You can go through a season in your life where if you discover something in God's Word, you feel happy to hear it. But if you discover something from somebody telling you, your friend will say something like, you shouldn't live your life like this. You shouldn't be doing that. And your response is resentment. Your response is to look down on this person who has brought this to you and to say, what gives you the right to tell me what to do? But see, the scripture has never taught you. Listen to this. The scripture has never taught you. Only receive advice from the written word of God. I'm going to prove it to you in a few minutes. The scripture has given you brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means when somebody tells you what's true, right now you should be preparing your heart to hear it and receive it. This impacts every aspect of your life. Your, your, your hunger and your attitude toward the truth really does impact every aspect of your life. It impacts your attitude toward money and toward friends and toward entertainment and toward church, toward your job. Your attitude toward truth impacts your interaction with these facets of life in every way. And the perishing will not love the truth. The perishing will not love the truth, but Christians love the truth. I want to keep reminding you, you should love the truth because it is the language of God, right? God speaks truth. God's word reveals truth. And you know God loves his creatures. You know God loves his children. And so when your heart is bent into resisting truth being revealed to you, you know who's talking to you? You know who's pressing on you? The deceiver. And your flesh that is inclined that way. But remember, a Christian loves the truth. You love the truth because it is the language of God. It is the revelation of eternal life. It is the revelation of life, period. Truth. Prepare your heart. Prepare your life to be told truth. See, receiving and being formed by the truth that another believer 
will teach you or remind you in love is part of God's design for Christian growth. Receiving and being formed by truth that another believer will teach you or remind you in love is part of God's design for Christian growth and life. Ephesians 4.15 We've looked at this multiple times. Listen to the emphasis on what I've just shared with you here. Ephesians 4.14 That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, I purposefully didn't read the whole passage there. The passage introduces the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has given certain people to the church. Apostles is at the front of the list and pastors and teachers is at the end of the list. The Lord Jesus has given these things to the church to equip the saints for works of service and they are to be speaking the truth one to another in love. And look at verse 14, that they would no longer be children. Why? Well, they're children when they don't know the truth. They're children when they're not equipped. They're immature. They're carried about with winds of doctrine because they don't know any doctrine. They're confused about their doctrine. They're immature. The Christian reality that is being undone in the Christian life is that you are leaving immaturity. You are leaving childlikeness. That's what's happening in Ephesians 4, which is the best summary of life after salvation that there is in the New Testament. What does it mean to be a Christian? Leave immaturity. Leave childishness. Leave doctrinal confusion. Leave being tricked by deceivers. You see, the Christian practice of truth speaking in love is meant to take you out of Christian childhood. Don't stay a baby. Christian babies... Is not the goal of the Christian life. Don't stay a Christian baby. Don't be selfish and prideful and silly and immature. As a Christian, grow up. Receive truth. Be wise. Be an adult in Christ. Be an adult in the Lord. Now listen, by loving the truth. By loving the truth. So I want to speak to you about the communion of remembering. Biblical worship 
is often sidestepped. Biblical worship is very often sidestepped. I would venture to say in the world today it is more common to fall to find false worship or to find unbiblical worship than it is to find biblical worship. And that is why where we normally read the communion passage from in the book of 1 Corinthians, that passage was written. The Spirit moved Paul to write that text in the Scripture. You know why? To correct false worship. That, that text is here in 1 Corinthians as a corrective to what they were doing wrong in Corinth. They went to church for the food. They're being corrected. Don't go to church for the food. They paid no respect to the other believers, and in particular the, the poor believers among them. And they weren't properly mindful toward the Savior, Jesus Christ, when they had the communion meal with one another. They weren't thoughtful of the Savior who who gave himself to take their punishment and to give them eternal life. So turn to 1 Corinthians 11, 17. And listen for the fact that the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit, is correcting the Christians in Corinth. False worship is a common thing for them. It's certainly a common thing today, but it's common because it's common among men. So 1 Corinthians 11, from verse 17, he says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Do you see how our communion passage is a corrective? Do you see how it's there to fix something that they're doing wrong? Verse 18, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What do you not have Houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And I believe it's common that sometimes Christians forget who they are really all about. Who is a Christian for? What is he doing? They forget. And so Paul writes to them to correct them. This problem in their congregation will turn into an opportunity for them. That is, that congregation will see from this difficulty among them who is it among them who is approved and who is not approved. They're going to see who are the real Christians coming out of this. These individuals come. Individuals sin and it leads to groups sinning. Instructions of of truth, they come for the believing. That is, the believing ones in this congregation, when they hear Paul's rebuke and his correction, they hear this and they receive it and they're conformed to the light of God's word that is brought to them so that nobody who is a Christian despises the church of God and nobody who is a Christian shames those who have nothing, which is what it says in verse 22. These instructions come for the believing ones. 
I'll look at verse 23. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in other words, whatever they were doing in their meeting when they come together on their Sunday, here is what they're supposed to be doing. This this is a correction. And what is he correcting? Christians practice careful memory. The Christian life is about remembering carefully who is the Lord Jesus Christ and what has he done and what does his shed blood mean. So we remember the body. We remember the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says the body broken for. So pretty clear indication about the body being broken for the Christian. And then the the cup itself, all it says is the cup. This is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So there's a reference to the blood and the, the cup of the new covenant that is part of their memory, the Christian memory. So he just simply tells the Christians what the bread means and what you're supposed to remember because of the bread and what the cup is and the drink of the cup remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also learn the peril of forgetting what the ordinance means. Paul warns Christians, don't forget what this means. Don't let your memory be misapplied. Don't let your memory be corrupt and become false worshipers in your practice of this ordinance. Verse 27 Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. If you forget, if your memory is corrupt or lacking, then you are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, so we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. You see, a Christian memory being betrayed, that is, your, your, your memory being corrupted and, and your memory of the gospel and your knowledge of the gospel being left behind or the non-Christian eating of the bread and the cup leads to something. And, and Paul corrects these Christians about what that leads to. It leads to judgment on the person who is eating and drinking Judgment in the form of what he calls weakness and sickness and death in verse 30. So Christians 
are to judge themselves. They take in these truths. They, they listen to what Paul is teaching about and speaking about here and they look at themselves. They remind themselves, oh yeah, what, what I'm doing here actually has to do with my memory of the Lord Jesus. This is my worship of my Savior. And eating the bread and drinking of the cup. See, God's truth is for Christians to remember. See, Christians are in a sense the most old-fashioned people in the world because what you think on, what you reckon on, what you remember is the oldest truths in the world. Christians are probably the ultimately true conservatives, and I don't mean that in the political sense. But conservatism is is going back to old principles. That's what conservatism means, right? And liberalism means you're looking forward and you're, you're advancing into new things. But the gospel and our hope in God and our knowledge of and our belief in is something very ancient. And it is an objective thing that you train your mind and your memory to remember on carefully. We're not progressives in the way we think about the gospel, in the way we think about God, in the way we think about how he is honored and how he's not honored. We are very conservative in this way, aren't we? We're careful in our thinking about this. So God's truth is properly remembered in our worship. The faithful remember his word. The faithful know his word. That's how you're careful in your memory of God. The forgetful are despised and worthless to him. Those who will not know him in truth, those who will not remember him in truth, are worthless to him and judged. So, positively, let's consider for a moment, positively, the faithful remembering his word. And that's Proverbs 4, 5. You have it on your handout. Proverbs 4, 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. You see, the the Christian isn't different from the man who meditated on the Proverbs in the court of David. The believing man or woman would read the Proverbs and he's exhorted by God, get wisdom. In other words, it's not in your pocket. You seek God for it. You seek God's word for it. Go to God for wisdom. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Now you see three other references that are under the positively. We're not going to read them. They're there for you to look at, for you to think on this concept. These are positively ways that men are exhorted to remember God's word. Now, I want to look at a negative example, and that's what the next four references show there. Look at the first one, Psalm 50, 22. So in other words, we saw the positive benefits of seeking and remembering his word. Look at this one as a negative example, Psalm 50, 22. Now consider this, you who forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. I want you to look at a couple of negative examples to compare with positive examples. 
Because the positive examples offer life. They offer joy. They offer strength. They offer resources. They offer God's help. What What do you get for forgetting God's word? What do you get for leaving it, for neglecting it? Torn in pieces and none to deliver. Look at Proverbs 31, 3 and 5. This one's interesting. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. I challenge you to meditate on this. Verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. What I want you to notice and what I would like to encourage you to think about this afternoon, there are things you could give your strength to. There are things you could give your attention to. He mentions this king who would give his strength to women or to wine. But the main emphasis is, and this is where I think you can benefit from this, if you give your strength to something that becomes the distraction or the reason that you do not remain sound in your knowledge of his word and of the law, then you are like this king who would be drunk instead of knowing the law. In other words, the warning here is that there are things that you might consume. Wine is an easy one for us to understand. If you're a consumer of wine, what happens to your mind and your heart's ability to hang on to God's word? And to live by it or to rule by it. You can't. The drunken person can't do that. So he says, do not do the thing that will cause you to forget. You could summarize that passage like that. Do not do the thing that would cause you to forget. Or do not do the thing that would cause you to not build your memory. What do you do instead of knowing God's word. There are other examples under the negative examples there for you. I want to encourage you on some positive exhortation. I want you to think about some positive Christian memory. Luke 22, 19 is an example. Luke 22:19 is a reference where the Lord Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, Luke 22:19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, they participate in the practice of remembering, remembering the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking communion. Is actively remembering the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the passage in John 14 demonstrates that God's Spirit has been given to help the Christian have a certain kind of memory. Now listen, if you have, if you have put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, then God's Spirit lives in you. What does God's Spirit do 
in a Christian? Well, he does numerous things. But what we see in this reference here, John 14, 26, look, it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. One of the main works of the Spirit is to teach you and to help you remember. Now, if you won't learn, then you don't have anything to remember. You've got to know his word, remember his word. And if you don't know it yet, you need to be studying it so you have something to remember. He teaches his word. He reminds of his word. God's spirit has been given for that. How do you walk in fellowship with God's spirit? How do you walk in fellowship with the Lord Jesus? You bring yourself to God's word. You submit to God's word, even if it was your wife who spoke it to you, even if it was somebody who irritates you, but spoke truth to you. Ephesians 4.11 is where we find that he, the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave, the Lord Jesus Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints. He gave teachers to the church. Are you... You might close your eyes and ask yourself, am I in the habit of forming my knowledge of truth in my church? You see, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers is what he gave for the equipping of the saints. It's what he gave for the formation of truth, for the establishment of the church. This isn't your pastor saying, listen to me. But this is your pastor saying, look at God's word. Hear me while I attempt to explain it to you and apply your heart to understanding and believing it. This is what a Christian does. You're accountable to God's word. And your pastor has been given to the church so that you can know God's word. A lover of truth knows God's word. A lover of truth rejoices to know what it is and to walk in it and to live by it. Because we're people who love truth. This is a basic labor, a fundamental labor of those who remember and practice truth. John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word. And what does it say? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. What does it say in verse 14? He took flesh and dwelt among us. Who dwelt among men? Who gave his life for men? Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Who is that? That is the eternal God who took on flesh 
that his body would be broken for you. That is Christian memory. That is Christian remembering. That is Christian truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Corinthians 11.24 is where we read, it was given for you who have repented of your sin and put your faith and hope in Him. And as we consider our worship, um, Terry, Nick, would you guys grab uh, these these things and hand hand them out for us, please? I'm going to look at two more references with you. Psalm 22, 6 to 8. Psalm 22, 6-8. Now the reason I brought you a moment ago in your memory to John 1, in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was gone. Don't think that the Lord Jesus is simply a human. He's God in the flesh. Psalm 22, 6-8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Psalm 22 speaks about the Savior. Psalm 22 speaks about the Messiah. God would be mocked and ridiculed. I'm going to read also verses 14 to 18 in the same psalm. I am poured out like water. Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. I am poured out like water, he says. All my bones are out of joint. Why are his bones out of joint? Because the Savior hung on the cross. Until his joints became dislocated. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. God suffered the punishment of sin on the cross. And our communion is what we do to remember Him. Christianity, your faith and hope in eternal life is explicitly your hope in the death of the Lord Jesus for sinners. Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. This is the most essential truth in the universe. Because the universe is a big place. This is the essential truth in the universe. Sinners have one mediator. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. All caps means Jehovah. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, Messiah, shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant, it's the Messiah, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. I'm going to pray and then we'll eat the bread together. Great God of heaven. Great God of heaven, cause our hearts to be soft to the truth. Teach us to train our memory that our worship be pleasing and true. We love you, God. Thank you for taking on flesh that it could be broken, crucified as an offering for sin. We thank you in Christ's name. First Corinthians 11.25 says, In the same manner he took the cup after supper. Could have been 30, 40 minutes, or maybe an hour later. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. The covenant where God promises to give new hearts. The covenant where God promises eternal life and freedom from sin. For his people. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Do this in Christ's memory. Remember the Lord Jesus. Don't drink the cup in an unworthy manner. Drink it before him in memory of him. Father God in heaven. Son. Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, the God who is one. We thank you and we praise you for the shed blood, the atoning blood of Christ. It gave eternal life for we who would believe. Oh, dear God, help us in our pursuit of knowing you in truth and walking with you in truth of not resisting truth. Dear God, we love the truth. We love the truth, dear God. We praise you. In the name of the one who gave his blood.
Christ Jesus the Savior. Amen. Let's drink the cup. We do have a closing song. If you can, and if you would like to stand, we'll sing number 340.